Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. PhD criminologist Dr. Robert Shug visits fraud busting. We chat about why people close to you may lie and also talk about his forensic psychology work with mass murderers. He'll talk about the common threads that all criminals have and why people don't commit crimes. We'll also chat about the differences between psychopaths and narcissists and how you can spot them in your own life. Enjoy. Robert, thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting. I'm so excited to, to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. I am excited too. Yeah. Good to be here. Well, okay, so we met, what, a month ago maybe? And um, it was kind of a funny circumstance because we both filmed for a show on the new Fox Crime Network. And right. um, here's what was so weird about it <laughs> is that everybody, because you're out in LA, everybody was in studio except yeah. for me yeah. and and because i guess they didn't have the budget to fly me out or some such thing <laughs> well you're very expensive i heard oh, you, yeah. you, you require first class right <laughs> well i do like first class a lot um but <laughs> back when they used to serve food and nuts and drinks and everything anyway um yeah so i was on a zoom i zoomed in and i was actually sitting or positioned behind you guys in the panel where you could neither it turns out see me or for a while until we figured it out, hear me. That's so, right. so, yeah. um, so I didn't really get to have the best interaction until we figured that out. Yeah, but, um, it was weird because my first interaction with you was not knowing if I should ignore the screen behind me or interact with the screen behind me. Yeah. Um, and and oh so gosh. it was, I mean, it was a wonderful show. I think it came off really well. And yeah. I heard you, I mean, from what I heard from you when I finally was able to hear what you were saying, I just thought it sounded it was awesome like i think we all just nailed it you know oh, and I think um so. it was a good it was a good chemistry on set and i think once we were able to interact with you it was all i mean it just added to it so much i'm really looking forward to seeing it and i'm i guess i wish we could have met like in person at that mm -hmm. point you know um but uh we're still virtual here but you know we do what we do oh yeah yeah for sure i was just so impressed with uh, your your depth of knowledge because everybody on our panel really had a different zone that they, yeah, we had that a, they specialized we, in. We each had a lane and everybody just worked that lane really mm -hmm. well. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so let's talk about you. You're you're a uh, a PhD former what rock star? Is that uh, <laughs> is that true? Tell me about that. <laughs> Basically, I mean that's all you really need to say, right? Okay. <laughs> Except the former rock the rock star part. I don't know if is is quite as accurate. Um, no, so I, I basically, um, I have two, I think of the coolest jobs, well, two really cool jobs. I won't say they're the coolest jobs in the world. So I, I was um, trained in, initially as a brain scientist and studied uh, sort of the biological bases of crime and violence and mental illness. And that's what I did my first PhD in. And so uh, as a research psychologist, and then because I'm a glutton for punishment, I didn't stop there. And I went back and retrained as a clinical psychologist. And so now I'm what you would consider a forensic psychologist. Uh, and I do uh, court appointed evaluations here in Los Angeles. Um, so it's really kind of, it's, it's the best of like the three worlds. If you can picture 
uh, in academia, you know, we have our teaching and then we have our research, right? And so then I have my clinical work and they all kind of intersect in this really cool place that right now I'm focusing on um, multiple repetitive violence, like serial killers and, and the big why question, you know, okay. and, and, and doing it through, through interviews and testing and, and just kind of what I do as a clinical psychologist anyway. So got it. Got it. Okay. Um, I yeah. want to talk about that, but I need to know what instrument you play first. Well, okay. So let's see how, how far back should I take this? I, I will say this. I, um, and this is, this has been said before on the record at various places. So I dropped out of college at, uh -huh. at Arizona state to move out to LA to be a rock star when okay. I was 21. Now the rock star part never happened. Darn. Um, it, it just turns out it's a little bit harder than I thought my, you know, my 21 year old brain thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. But yeah I, I played uh, guitar. Okay. Yeah. Are and you lead, lead guitar, backup? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the only guitar, isn't okay, it? Okay, I'm just making sure, making sure of what's, <laughs> what's going on. I, I play a little bit too, but not... Oh, do not, you? Okay. I, I couldn't play lead. I could play... I could sit in with a, any country band. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just three chords in the truth, right? So um, I got I got the three chords... <laughs> and a chords. dog that died somewhere along yeah, the way. Right? I know, yeah, yeah. I know. I got the three chords handled in whatever key you want. But other yeah. than that... <laughs> that's awesome. Little, we we might have been able to start a band on the, on the TV show shoot when we were there. Well, we we, we had half a band anyway. We didn't even know it. We had right? we had the lights and everything yeah. that we. If, if Lauren like plays drums or sings, I think we would have had it, right? Oh, oh yeah, totally. I think she does too. <laughs> <laughs> too good. I love it. Okay, yeah. so let let's jump in because I I have some real specific questions about some stuff that's going on in my life that I don't have answers to. That okay. I think you is this might a therapy be... session? No, 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 no. It's, no, it's not. It's not about me. It's not about me. But people keep asking me about this. So, so, and it's small. But let's let's jump into that, and then we'll ramp it up and get into what you're doing. So, mm -hmm. I know that you're not really a profiler because we talked about that, like a criminal profiler. Because pretty much by the time you get there, the bad stuff's already happened, right? Yeah, is that true. And that's a common misconception, I believe, where folks, um, and I think it's it's for a number of different reasons where criminal profiling, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a separate deal from what I do. A forensic psychologist doesn't, by training, do criminal profiling. Mm -hmm. And then depending on who you ask, you might get sort of variations of that response. But I sort of see criminal profiling as the um, arena of the FBI, you know, and okay. they, they've developed it. They haven't really shared how it's done in particular. And I think that's probably for the best because if they're using it to solve crimes, why let everyone know how it's done, right? Totally. But at the same time, it hasn't really been exposed to scientific rigor, mm -hmm. right? So we don't, you know, but, but again, it's not my jam. What I do is I try to figure someone out who is actually in front of me mm -hmm. and try to come up with the answers. You know, like you said, they, the bad stuff's already happened. They've already been caught. And now I, it's my job to sort of say why, you mm -hmm. know, or to find out why. And that's, you know, I think that's, that's equally, if not more challenging, you know, at times, because it, it, they, people can still be an incredible mystery, even when they're sitting right in front of you. So. Oh, exactly. Okay. So here's my mystery. Let's see what you say. Okay. So um, I have a group of friends and we have a friend who is now granted we're all keynote speakers so we are prone to exaggerating our stories right? mm -hmm. but this particular person's stories are getting to where they are just outlandish to where they don't fit in on what's going on whether it's the health of some of her family her um 
their health, uh, how many speaking gigs they're going to uh, in the pandemic, in the pandemic, right? Where, uh, hint, nobody's speaking uh, live. Like it's just starting up right now. So they've, they've started small and they're just getting more and more uh, large and to the point that other people are coming to me saying what's going on with this person and I'm like I don't know but it doesn't even make sense anymore like the lies aren't even small so what do you and and I, I would guess that's probably something that most people listening would probably deal with more frequently than like a serial killer Right. So I hope so. Yeah, oh my so, gosh. <laughs> so, so what's your thought on that? Like, cause, cause things start small and then they kind of just grow. Yeah. But what's the, what's the going on inside there to create that? Yeah. And I think it's important to say that, you know, like when you and I talk about anyone, you know, ultimately we can only speculate unless we actually ask the person the questions we want to know ourselves. So this mm-hmm. is only speculation, but you know, I, 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 so the things that came to my mind when you were discussing your friend, is it a, can you say if it's a male friend or a female friend? It is a or? female friend. Okay, so we don't want to identify anyone, but right. I'm wondering if your female friend, like, so one, so I'm, I'm a big hypothesis tester. Like, okay. that's how I go about my life, really. I test hypotheses, gather data, and see what supports the hypothesis. So hypo- hypothesis number one might be, is she just inclined to be a pathological liar? Like, does mm-hmm. she lie across the board for no apparent reason at all, does she lie when she knows it's the truth is okay? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. is lying kind of her style, right? That would be my first hypothesis. And if, if that were true, you would have seen evidence of this throughout her lifespan in different areas, in her family, at work, at school, right? Evidence mm-hmm. of just lying as a way of life. Mm-hmm. So that's hypothesis number one. Hypothesis number two might be is this maybe situationally specific in terms of the context of of the group of friends right and Mm -hmm. so it sounds like the group of friends is very and clearly you are you know um well accomplished uh busy Mm -hmm. successful right smart doing all the things that you sort of set out to do and could it be that you know you guys as a group dynamic are intimidating you know like look at that could be right uh-huh. And so maybe, and she might be, now either she feels, um, and again, this is all speculation, does she feel less than in the general sense, or does she feel less than in the specific sort of COVID era, you know, challenge sense, you know, where she's not able to keep up with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, hypothesis three might be, you know, and this is probably a longer shot, but always something to entertain is like, you know, is she breaking away from reality in some sort of psychotic sense? That's what we're you know? wondering. That's what we're wondering. Yeah. Like, is, is this some form of, of breakdown? No, I want to say she's crazy or she has schizophrenia, but like, you know, are, are these delusional beliefs, you know, b- beliefs that she feel actually feels are true, you know, despite evidence to the contrary. So mm-hmm. I would pick those three to start. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, there might there, people lie for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Right. And you know this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and usually maybe not always, but usually it's for a purpose where we're being reinforced somehow by telling the lie. We're getting mm-hmm. something out of it. Right. It might just be avoiding uh, anxiety when someone asks you how they look in their outfit today. You know, oh. or, 
you know, so, so, you know, lying, I think is usually motivated by something, um, but patterns of lying, you know, that's, that gets into something a little different, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, that's actually very helpful. So, um, okay. So have you tried, have you tried in response to her, like the liar, liar, pants on fire? Well, we're trying to not do that to keep things friendly. And, and because I think one of the most important things is, when when starting to detect lies when you're around someone who you know you're smelling the smoke looking to see if it's coming from their pants basically is to know more than what you say and um th- that does a couple things i think one is if you give people enough rope they'll hang themselves oh, right yeah, and, and then, and then your work's done right but then the other thing is that it, it lets things develop so you can just you can just watch and be like huh instead of getting sucked in you can go huh that is interesting behavior I wonder how that's being created and because I'm so close to the situation like I haven't been able to figure it out right so yeah um, it's, and it's then and then it's funny how how we um, you and I and a, a number of people you know deal with human behavior as and we're, that's our job, but 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 I think a lot of people don't maybe understand or maybe they do. I don't know. It's like we also deal with human behavior when we're not working, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like you, you know, and so a way you the way you would handle this situation when you were working, you know, assessing sort of truthfulness or whatever, mm-hmm. might might while you're using the same tools in your mind, mm-hmm. right? The toolbox is rattling around your mind. You probably would handle it differently at you know a happy hour. Oh, totally. Socially distanced with masks, of course, right? <laughs> with your friends than you would, you know, if yeah. you were sort of a, a doing an actual assessment. So, um, but it's funny, but it's the same behavior, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What, whatever context we're, we're in, like we're, we're either working or we're playing, mm-hmm. but it's the same behavior and, and it's hard to turn the toolbox off. I don't know if you've experienced this. So, right? You know, it depends how much I care uh, for, yeah. for me. And for this particular situation, I do care because it's because it's a friend, but I'm, I'm attached to the situation, which leaves my lens not clear, I think, right. on um, just just real honestly on what's going on, because I do care and and I don't get it. And yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, too. And, and you know, I, I, um, this is just me being a, a guy, you know, so like what would what do you think would happen if you, you know, very, uh, in a non-confrontational way, mm-hmm. confront her, like a non-confrontational confrontation where, right, where, yeah, yeah, you know, like, do you think, what do you think she would do or how might she react or? I know. think it would be a, I think it would be a stonewall avoidance situation. So there would be something that was said that sounded good, but very much to push it aside is what I think would happen. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm, I'm wondering too, how she might, so in, in sort of testing hypotheses, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the, right. it seems like the middle hypothesis number two would be the easiest one for you as a friend to sort of test and kind of check in with her about, mm-hmm. well, you know, Hey, like, Hey, we're, we're all talking about all this stuff and, and, you know, the stuff you're talking about, like, you know, are you, are you feeling like you need to keep up with this or, or, um, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And it's not easy to do. And, and I'm it's certainly not. as clumsy as anyone else with that, but, uh, but yeah. And then, so if it's something, you know, you wanted to actually remedy, 
Um, well, that's I, the thing. I'm, I'm wondering about the value of actually doing it versus just kind of knowing it and just letting it go and going and just blowing it off, right? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if, if it's somebody, I think like you said, to what level do you care? And so if it's someone you're going to spend time around, maybe this is something for folks listening to this eventually or watching, you know, yeah. like to think about like way, you know, is it worth the effort to suss out you know, the veracity of what's being said, you know, if, if it's a friend and someone you want to stay connected with, then it probably is worth the effort. Mm -hmm. If it's someone you just, you know, a coworker who you rarely deal with or someone, you know, someone's uh, partner that you, uh, you know, know from somewhere else, maybe it's not, maybe you don't say lie, liar, pants on fire every time you should or can, right? But oh, only, yeah. right. And, and in situations where it's, in, where it's meaningful, that's when you do it. Yeah, it's about what is the payoff, right? Exactly. So, exactly. so anyway, but this is very helpful <laughs> and it's, uh, I'll keep you posted. I'll keep everyone posted <laughs> on what happens. So, so That's let's- only, it's, only, it's only $600 an hour. So it I'll is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so let's talk about you because you said one of your um, interests is psychopathy. So yes. let's talk about the definition of that exactly. So we're on the same page, what you do yeah. with it, and then let's roll into some stories and then some of the deeper stuff that, that you're working on. Yeah, so psychopathy was kind of the thing that got me in, in the door, so to speak, in terms of kind of, you know, upper level psychology education and training mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I, I, um, I did my PhD at University of Southern California, um, and my um, mentor and supervisor was a guy named Adrian Rain, who was um, studying the brains of murderers and also studying psychopaths. And at that time, he had this really cool study where we were recruiting um, temporary employment agency folks um, because the, the, the literature on psychopathy at that time was focused on like incarcerated individuals and prison mm -hmm. inmates. But there wasn't a lot of work on psychopaths in the community, and clearly, you know, not all psychopaths are incarcerated. So, um, and the temp agency folks—I mean, there's a lot of great people who work for temp agencies, you know—and we know oh, yeah. it. But, but there are also folks there who can't keep a long-term job for a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. right? And no shame or judgment, but it just seemed a good place to kind of, um, you know, get people for us to talk to and, and study their brains and whatnot, and so. Uh, that's where I kind of learned psychopathy, how to diagnosis, and basically how to diagnose it. Basically, psychopathy is a personality disorder, mm -hmm. generally marked by a lack of conscience. I mean, if you, if you wanted the sort of bullet point, you know, definition, you know, mm -hmm. personality disorder marked by a lack of conscience. And the folks who have really put this on the map, um, um, psychologists like Robert Hare, for example, he came up with the psychopathy checklist, which was one of the original ways of, of measuring psychopathy, you know, mm -hmm. for, for research, right? And it was basically 20 items of things like glibness, superficial charm, grandiose sense of self-worth, proneness to boredom, you know, all the way down to irresponsibility, uh, you know, uh, failure to accept responsibility for your own actions, promiscuity was in there. There's a, there's a number of different things that when, when you get them all together, uh, it was believed constitute this condition called psychopathy. A psychopath is someone who has psychopathy, right? So okay. when we talk about the illness, we talk about psychopathy. When we talk about the person that has the illness, we talk about a psychopath, even though it's weird nowadays, you know, we're trained 
we don't call people or label them by an illness, right? That's that's bad form in right, 2021. Right. But for some reason, for the psychopath, when we when we do that, you know, like you wouldn't say a person with schizophrenia, you wouldn't call them a schizophrenic now because you don't. They, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. This is my world, and the you know where I have to keep up on sort of um, what's the proper PC, thing to do right yeah and and it makes sense i mean it, from a from a therapeutic point of view you don't want to conceptualize a person as the thing that they have that's sure. just that's not that's not cool right and so okay. but for whatever reason with psychopaths and i'm doing it myself right now with person mm-hmm. has psychopathy it's cool to say you're a psychopath right and a lot of people think it's fun to say you use that word and, and throw it around and whatnot so um, it's something that manifests early in life. It, it's evident in many different areas, kind of like we were talking about with earlier with, with your friend. I'm not saying she was a psychopath, but but a, a condition that you know indicates a personality disturbance. You see it early on. You're born with it. It's not something you catch later on or something that comes online. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in your 20s, you have it all along. It's your normal. You know, you've never known anything different. And and you can see it at home and at school and, and at work and all the different places that you travel throughout your, you know, growing up and whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, associated with, you know, crime and violence, um, been studied a number of different ways by di- many great researchers over the years, um, you know, um, and, and at that time, to sort of bring it back around, you know, Dr. Rain was studying brain functioning and psychopathy. And so that's kind of where I, I got started on that and um, got to become really familiar with it, you know, develop kind of an expertise in it. So, mm, okay. Okay. So um, do you have any interesting, like what's the craziest story that you've had <laughs> to deal with? Like, and it could be fraud. I know you got probably some of those, but you probably have some other things, like you said, like multiple killings and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you- you know what I found, Tracy, to be honest, um, I mean, cra- sir, I've talked, I've talked, like, I've talked to countless fascinating people mm-hmm. in all areas. I mean, certainly at that study, any number of people that came in there that I just, you know, really was able to learn a lot from. And I sort of consider myself a student in the sense when I'm, you know, speaking with someone, like learning about their life and their, oh yeah, their journey, you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's to the point now where like, and I shouldn't say this, I, I can't say that nothing surprises me, um, but very little right. actually shocks me because I've just sort of talked to folks who have done all sorts of things. And I don't know that I can pick out any one particularly, particularly shocking person other than when I was at USC doing that study as a grad student, I was hearing about the exact same things that I hear about now when I'm downtown in jail talking to somebody or when I'm sitting with, you know, one of the serial killers that I work with in my research. So it's the, mm-hmm. it, it's the same behavior, you know, uh, in, in different sort of contexts. And, and that's kind of one of my messages now that I'm trying to, you know, as, as part of my career is this idea that, you know, we, we like to, um, we like to label and we like to categorize and we, we, we it's very easy and, and, perhaps fashionable to talk, to, to talk about, you know, serial killers mm-hmm. as monsters or as something other than human. And, and I, just based on my experience, and I, and I talk to, if I go a week without talking to at least one person that's killed somebody, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's a, that's, 
if, if that doesn't happen, that's a very slow week for me. I'm constantly talking to people who kill other people, right? And it's if you take the time to look, it's not difficult to see the humanity in these people. Oh, right. right? And, yeah. I, and I'm not saying I condone what they've done or that, or that they shouldn't, the justice system shouldn't do its thing, mm -hmm. but they're not monsters. I've yet to meet one monster. And I've talked to people who have done some stuff, right? Okay, so, so what was the, the first time you went into a jail? First time I went into jail. Tell us about that, jail, what happened? Um, and like, like just maybe to be the, fair, I've only been in jails working. That's the only okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It doesn't yeah. count if I mean, you went to jail yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a good question. Like my first experience in a jail was um, uh, Twin Towers in downtown Los Angeles, which is the mental health side of the LA County jail system. Okay. Right? And considered the largest mental health hospital this side of the Mississippi River, I believe. And, and it's a jail, right? And so that sort wow. of tells you the state of, um, you know, mental health and criminal justice system and, and just in general. And actually, I got a little bit of a thing here. Let me just. Yeah, it's like 80 80 percent of people incarcerated are, are on the scale some somehow, aren't they? In, yeah, in yeah. I mean, but yeah. but but just this, you know, we're, we're struggling, I think now and, and there is a kind of awakening about mental health, you know, okay. and, 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 you know, I'm sure where you live and where I live and, and, you know, all over the place, we're sort of seeing the ramifications of of just sort of free form existence of people with significant, you know, emotional and, and, mm -hmm. and thought disturbances and, and you know, uh, how, how damaging that can be for them, right? And unsafe, you know, for all of us, really. Um, not, I'm not saying that, you know, people with mental illness are dangerous per se, but there are some that are, right? And, and mm -hmm. um, we need to focus on those. Um, oh, exactly. So first time you go down- first to time was Twin Towers Jail, it was for a practicum, um, you know, training experience in my master's degree. And I remember that feeling, you know, when the door closed behind me. Yeah. It was like, can I swear in the show or are we not, we're not swearing? Uh, well, maybe we, because I have to check a box that says clean or not. So maybe right. we probably shouldn't. Like I probably muttered the F word. Under okay. My, like, like it was, it was, it was. It was palpable. Um, very palpable. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but, and so I, and, and that was the, again, the mental health side of the jail, which is, can be a little more extreme and unusual. Not always. Sometimes it's much calmer in there, you know, oh, than across okay. the street at just sort of the regular deal. Um, but, um, you know, I remember um, the first sort of a person that, and just as a, as a grad student, um, there was a guy, let's see, he had um, taken a bunch of PCP and had, um, killed his girlfriend in like ate part of her lung <gasps> oh, um, and they found him naked and bloody in the streets um and i remember like i remember looking at him because because i just happened to be in a part where he was and i didn't talk to him um but uh just sort of you know that was i think that was my first experience with seeing being in close proximity with someone who had done that sort of thing mm -hmm. right and then i remember my first serial killer interview face-to-face -face uh -huh. interview was with a guy named Joel Rifkin in upstate New York and that was for um a that was for a history channel documentary on the brain oh really uh, yeah yeah and that that my supervisor Dr. Rain had been asked to do and and he was busy doing a bunch of other stuff and he said why don't you guys just get Robert to do it uh -huh. and so they asked me I'm like 
yeah, I'll do it. So, but, but that was the first, and that was back in, um, I think it was 2006. So it was, it's been a while, you know, but, yeah. but that was my first experience, I think in a, in a state penitentiary, mm-hmm. you know, which is a different experience from a jail. Um, usually, um, but with a guy like that. And that was actually the first time that, you know, no, no, again, my, my messaging, I want it to be very clear. It's like, I, I'm not condoning behaviors, right? And, and I believe people should be punished for what they're, what they've done. But in that moment with him, I did realize like, I'm just not getting a monster vibe. Like I just see a dude, you know what I mean? And that's kind of been the way I've worked ever since, you know, and just in terms of, you know, I don't go into any situation, whether it's a research interview or if it's an evaluation with any shame or judgment or preconceptions, you know, it's just, I know it's going to be a human that's probably done something bad, you know, but it's still, you know, that person is still a person. And, and, and I've, you know, I've never been disappointed in that regard. Like, uh, you know, I've never sort of, you know, I mean, there've been people that have scared me. Uh-huh. Don't get me wrong. There's scary people I've talked to, but I've never come out of it sort of been like, this person has this supernatural evil quality that makes them different from the rest of us. Wow. So, so what do you ask? You sit down, the door slams behind you and, and clearly you're unsettled here. Clarice. Yeah, I know. What do you do? Like what, do they they know you're there for research or what's the. Well, that's, that's a great question because it it just depends. Like, Um, and you know what else? Uh, it depends kind of on what's at what stage they're at in the process. And so, okay. um, a guy who, you know, is waiting trial, you know, you sort of have to handle them a little differently from someone who has been convicted and, you know, and, and, and is their appeals are all done and whatnot. Okay. You know? Um, and you kind of have to respect where they're at in the process because their motivations for sharing information change. Right. Um, you know, uh, and it's funny in, in forensic psychology, they, they always say like, you know, the first thing you learn or the first sort of point is that everybody's lying to you, you know, oh, yeah. like, so that's kind of, you know, where you, professionally where you have to be. It doesn't mean you have to be there, I think, personally or interpersonally, but just professionally knowing, okay, it's probably a lie, you know, um, doesn't mean you make people feel bad about that or, or judge them on that. Cause that's just one behavior, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think to your question, like, um, what do you ask? Well, you know, you have definitely, it's, it's probably different for every person, you know, I would imagine, um, you know, in terms of, you know, you have to sort of sometimes walk the line between, you know, professional doctor and just kind of like, you know, human who's interested in your story. Right. And so that's, that's a, can be a challenging line to walk sometimes not always. Some people are just ready to spill their guts and share with you. And some people don't want to say anything to you, you know? And, and so it's sort of a different approach every time, but, but my job is really to, I mean, in a nutshell, I have to find everything I can out about from when they were born till now, uh-huh. you know, in, in all areas of their life. Um, and, you know, uh, find out what happened, right. That got what's their side of the story. Uh-huh. Um, and, and many times compare their side of the story with the, you know, the document side, the record side, right? And sort of see where things are shaking out there. Um, and then, you know, test their brain functioning and see what's going on upstairs. And um, and then there's usually a specific sort of what I call a psycholegal question that needs to be addressed as a forensic psychologist. So is this a competency issue? Are they, are they okay to go to court? 
Is this an insanity defense? You know, at the time of the crime, did a mental illness kind of, you know, make it so that they didn't know what they were doing or didn't know right from wrong? Mm -hmm. Is it a mitigation thing where, you know, everything, everything is kind of done, but, but does the court need to know something about them that might be favorable in terms of the disposition of the case? So it, it depends on the person I'm talking to. It depends on the context, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a research. So the research side is something completely different. They've usually signed on for it and are really gung-ho about it. Okay. The, the clinical side, you know, not so much, but, but if it's, you know, depending on the question I'm being asked and just depending on the person, you know, um, but, but my job is, you know, in, in all of those contexts to come away with as much, you know, information about this person's journey, if you, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. as I can, or as they'll let me, or as they'll share. So, so let's, let's talk about the, um, insane defense. Because mm -hmm. I insane think insane in the membrane or insane in the brain. I, shoot, both. It is clearly both. <laughs> Cypress Hill, that <laughs> yeah. No, that's Those of you who weren't alive in the nineties. No, that that's good. I love that. Okay, so <laughs> was that was that the um Beastie Boys? No, no, that was Cypress Hill. Oh, so, okay. Right? All right. Cypress actually, Hill. I think some of those guys are actually from Long Beach, where I live. I believe right. so. Okay, I yeah. I mean, I'm all for I'm all for that song for sure. Okay, so <laughs> can you play it in the background when we get to this part? Can you uh, cut that in? Maybe I will. We'll no, you know what? YouTube will they'll because uh, I don't have they, a light. I don't have yeah, a synchronization yeah, yeah. They'll license, so they'll shut people down. People will side. just have to hum it on their own. Okay, so and they're doing um, it right now. No, they are. They are. Um, okay, so let's. I I the. How legit is the is that defense is the insane defense? Because because when I sit home and I'm watching a, a court thing on TV uh, on the news and the guy sits there and he's wearing a tie and he looks great. And they're like, oh, he was insane. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Like, I think really? I think I think many people have that sort of idea about the insanity defense and that it's just people lying to get out of, you know, going to prison. Right. Uh, yeah. And so. The insanity defense has a long history, and in terms of legitimacy, if it's done properly, right, uh -huh. it is a very legitimate defense because there are people who, due to a mental disease or defect, um, were at the time of the offense were not able to um, um, appreciate the nature and quality of the act, meaning they weren't understanding what they were doing, mm -hmm. meaning you know, holding a uh, holding a gun and thinking it was a banana, that kind of thing, right, or uh, didn't understand the wrongfulness of their behavior. And it's the mental illness piece that, that, uh, to that has yeah. to be there. And so you have to have all those things. Now, what might happen is you might have someone who um, has a mental illness, but is completely sane, right? And that's, that's actually not uncommon, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, they, you know, they could be crazy in the sense that they have sort of a, you know, diagnosable mental illness, but they knew what they were doing and they knew it was wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think what people don't understand is the, the um, raising of an insanity defense is rare, right? Mm -hmm. And then people who actually succeed at it is really, really rare. Like, mm -hmm. like, like fractions of percentages of total cases, people right. actually ever win the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a very high bar legally to get over. I mean, like it's, it's, it's not an easy defense. And if you lose, you know, the court's probably going to throw the book at you and you're going to spend, you know, more time in prison. Even if you win, you know, you're going to a mental hospital right. or for at least the full term of the sentence. And then there's no guarantee you're getting out. So, you know, there's, it's not 
It, um, and I've talked to pa- state hospital patients who um, were advised by their attorney to uh-huh. plead insanity and they actually won and they end up staying in the hospital, you know, three, four times longer than they would have just had they oh, gone wow. to prison. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's no, it's no picnic, right? And a state hospital, a lot of people find that environment unappealing, right? You know, mm-hmm. they, you think you're just going to go there and chill. That ain't what it's like. What, well, what happens? I mean, for what? I mean, here, here's what I think happens because I've watched a lot of movies, so I know. And that is that they they make you wear like some kind of white tunic, and then uh, pump in you California, full of drugs. in California, it's beige. It's be- oh, it's beige. Yeah. Oh, so they've upgraded a little bit. But I mean, really, is it that far from what we see in the in the movie? And I legitimately do not know. Like, what what goes on at a mental hospital? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 funny how. Um, it's, it's kind of a little bit of both. It's like, it's nothing like TV, right? Uh-huh. And, and then it's sort of like, you know, everything like TV. I think in the sense, Hollywood is interesting and I'll, I'll sort of generalize this a little bit and then bring it back. Like, it, it's, it's really hard for me, I don't know about you, but like to, to watch some sort of, you know, fictional crime stuff because I just, it just it's it, it bears no resemblance to reality you right know? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of it's script writers and producers getting mm-hmm. together to tell an interesting story and so and and that i i you know i can appreciate but it, it's interesting that the the really fascinating stuff um you know i think is the stuff that that uh you know that can't be talked about on tv and so you know because there are standards right and so sure. Um, reality is, I think what I'm trying to say is reality is far more interesting than the best Hollywood scriptwriter can ever come up with. Oh, you know, wow. In terms of character, in terms of situations, crimes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's sad. And, and I think the public in, at large, you know, really wants to know, like, the real deal. I don't think that they're, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it, you hear of like, it's called murder porn you know and, and uh-huh. the true crime shows and, oh, yeah, yeah. Them and i've been on them right and and, yeah. and they're not going away right i mean clearly we met i know we met show, right but there, there's at least six whole channels on true crime that is it that yeah. is all yeah. they do so there's so there's a public appetite for it and i think the public appetite is evolving to um a uh even a scientific curiosity i think people mm-hmm. are becoming less and less interested in just the generic you know uh bad guy does bad thing gets caught at the end of you know 40 minutes plus commercials and i think they want you know they want to know more and i think that that's Mm -hmm. actually why you know folks like you and i are 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 able to go out and and talk about the sort of you know more empirical side and and, and scientific side of things and Mm -hmm. and people get it and so um uh back to your question i mean i i think of like you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest is my sort of pre training understanding of mental hospitals and you know it, it it depends on sort of the era we're talking about but but there you know the build i mean the buildings are still the same buildings from one floor of the cuckoo's you know the state hospitals at least in california uh, although they are they are refurbishing them now and, and doing a lot of construction but for a time these were some of these were 100 year old buildings you oh know? man so um you know and that can add to the creepy factor but you know by and large i think the people that are there you know, they're, again, it's, it's their people, they're humans, and, and, you know, they have their good days and their bad days, and, and they're experiencing their own kind of challenges, and um, I, I don't necessarily, and I think the employees there and the staff do their best to, to make it, you know, uh, 
somewhere between tolerable and, and, you know, at least some kind of fulfilling existence, but, you know, in the therapeutic sense. Um, but it's not a, you know, it's not a nice place to be. It's, you know, people with severe kind of uncontrolled mental illnesses can be very difficult to be around. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Cause you've interviewed hundreds of people who've done totally bad things, like really bad things. I think that's about, that's correct. I think. Yeah. Okay. I think so it's hundreds by now. Yeah. Hundreds. Okay. So what <laughs> is the thread? What's the common thing, the thing they all have in common? Cause, cause you, you, you said before that, you know, this isn't something that comes on when you're 20, it's going on your whole life. Um, well, but that's or, psychopathy. But there are mental illnesses like schizophrenia okay. that come online a little later, right? Okay. So there are things, you know what I mean? So yeah. we can think about we can think about personality disorders and then like, you know, mental illnesses like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, where uh-huh. you might you might not start seeing symptoms until your early 20s, you know. Okay. Um, but to your question, the common thread, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the common there's a number of of um, there's a number of threads that I look at, okay. you know, hypotheses that I test. So, so yeah, mental illness is one thread, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, is it, um, is it something that's psychological? Is it something that's biological? Meaning a brain issue, right? right. And sometimes those two can be related, right? Yeah. Or is it something that that we would call in the business psychosocial or environmental or something in the social world, right? Okay. Because our brains and our minds don't exist in a vacuum, right? We were out in the social world all the, sure. all, all the time, right? Unless you're locked up at home and like, you know, not, unless it's COVID, then you're, you know, sitting at home. Not, right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so what, you know, it might be, it might be something about your parents or the people you hung out with, or maybe yeah. some street gang activity or something like that, 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 you know, put these ideas into your head. Um, and then I think there is situational and context, right. And how, yeah. you know, you can take two different people, you know, and put them in a context that might instigate aggression or violence. And one person might walk away from it and one person might engage. Right. Uh-huh. And so, uh, and you know it might just be like literally bad day like like literally a bad you had a bad day right and up till this point when you encounter this person you know it was it was bad and then this was all you could do you know really the only option you had at that point in terms of a way to solve whatever problem right and so sure. um and then i think underneath all that you know, so the, we have these four things. You have psychology, biology, environment, and situation and context. Underneath all that, this understanding that from an evolutionary perspective, we all have the propensity for violence and aggression, right? Mm-hmm. It's instinctual. If we did not have it, we would have gone extinct as a species, right? And so, you know, when people ask me, well, how could this person have done this terrible, evil thing, right? My response usually reflexively is that's not the question. The question is not why or how they could do it. The question is, how is it that the rest of us don't? Oh, interesting. How is it that the rest of us don't? Because we're all capable. It's not a capability question. It is a inhibition question. You know, Mm -hmm. how do you and I go through our lives not killing people? Right. And usually I I say, because, well, you're either or or both, you know, 
you have empathy, meaning you feel what other people feel and, you, mm-hmm. and it would hurt you to hurt other people. And that's not fun. Or you're afraid of punishment. Like you don't want to go to jail. Right. And mm-hmm. hopefully with most humans, it's kind of a combination of both. Yeah. But some okay. people, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So I have a question. So mm-hmm. let's, let's dial this down a little bit to narcissism, which is, which is a really low rung on the scale. I, I think of, of mental illness. And I think some that, that has come up, especially with our political situation the last several years, right? So my theory is, cause I'm a, um, I was a therapist for a long time, a hypnotist, NLP practitioner, which is, which is great. Um, but uh, th- that leads me to say, okay, how does this get created, right? In the, in the mind, what's the pathway? It seems to me it's a defense mechanism of oh, yeah. uh, uh, for survival but but you have more science on it so what's your idea well i i think my the extent of my scientific knowledge would be narcissism as as kind of part of you know psychopathy in terms of like a grandiose sense of self-worth sure um that's somewhat based in reality but but perhaps not um but you know if, if you're talking about someone who thinks more highly of themselves you know in a way that's, that does not equate with their situation so is that a personality-based thing? Is it a psychotic illness-based delusion, like mm-hmm. a delusion of grandeur, you yeah, know, yeah. Jesus Christ, that kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. and is it a spectrum, right? Do you have someone who just thinks they're the SHIT and then someone mm-hmm. who thinks they're Jesus and maybe that's just a spectrum, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but psychologically, I, th- I believe the, the prevailing theory is that narcissism is a defense against feeling very small and insignificant. And I so, think so. I agree. You totally. know, when one unconsciously or feels that way, they, ha- they build themselves up, you know, um, and um, that's how it comes out and, and, and sort of this, and that's kind of when I, when I, you know, when I, in my day-to-day travels, when I encounter someone who seems narcissistic and, and it might just be that small snapshot that I got them in, we should never really try to paint broad pictures of people's personality just based sure. on a small interaction mm-hmm. oh we all do it but but we shouldn't um you know is i sort of think in my head well okay you know is does this person sort of have low self-esteem you know and was there something that i did that might have kind of challenged that or whatever and maybe this this is a reaction to that but but people who do it you know as a personality style that's the belief that you know psychologically they're sort of compensating for very low self-esteem self-worth yeah yeah I- I'm glad you said that because that's what I was getting to just just for my clients and the and the bit of research that I've done on it. So, okay, we don't want to keep you all day. What is the last thing if you could leave people with one tip so that they can get through life a little bit easier? Oh, my goodness. Um, from from just looking through this lens, like how they're going to live their life better knowing all this. You know what? I. I don't know if I can promise anyone a better life. I, 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 I fair I enough, fair enough. I, I, you know what, here, here's what I would like to leave folks with. Ch- challenge yourself um, by elevating the knowledge you have about these things. Cause you're, you're watching this show for a re- cause you're interested in it and you're not the only one, you know, like there's lots of people. So don't just accept the Hollywood version or the YouTube version of, you know, whatever, if you're interested in crime and violence, you know, I think we get you here, you you, you know, we understand you, right? Yeah. But take it beyond just a cliched Hollywood 
script writer's version mm-hmm. of it and, and go learn about these things, you know, take your curiosity and apply it, I guess for the, you know, take your powers of curiosity and apply them for good and not for evil, I guess is a bet, you know, so, so learn more, be critical with the information you, you ingest, mm-hmm. you know, ask questions about it. Um, talk about it with people in a way that, that, that kind of elevates the, the discussion from just sort of Hollywood based banter to, you know, actual like, you know, um, discussions about like, you know, the science of it. And then two, let's try to move away from this people are monsters thing, right? right. Judgment. Um, that's not a thing. Right. That's not a thing anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this idea that people are capable of a whole, whole array of things. And, um, you know, not to say that, um, again, we're not, at least here in this moment, we're not advocating that people should get away with murder, you know, or however that would look, but, but doesn't, regardless of what they've done, there, there is some humanity in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I got it. Oh, you are awesome. So how can people get a hold of you? Like if they want you to come speak or be on their TV show? Yeah. <laughs> people usually just email me, right? Um, I'm on the um, California State University Long Beach website. I'm in okay. the uh, School of School of Criminology, Criminal Justice and Emergency Management. It's a lot of words there, but if you just if you type in my last name S C H U G and like Long Beach, it should come up, right? And so just just email me. That's usually the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I don't do a, much social media, I, a, a really of any, um, just because. Um, I work around a lot of dangerous people. I don't know what yeah, I'm huh? doing. So. <laughs> but uh, but you can certainly reach out uh, via email, and I'm happy happy to talk to anyone really. Oh, excellent! Well, thank you so much. You're just you're just filled with knowledge. Love it. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.